William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. All right, rolling on. 3 o'clock hour, Silver 7's. John Von Tobel's here. It's Cofield. We'll get into uh, more of the LeBron stuff, calling out the media for – sounds weird, right? Not asking him about Jerry Jones. I think a lot of people will see the headline and be like, what is he doing? Well, he's got reasons, so we'll get into that. We're going to talk uh, Pac-12 championship game in just a little bit with Sean O'Connell who works for Pac-12 Sirius XM, also played tight end at Utah. And uh, Utah is one of the best tight ends in the country. Don't know how much he's going to be able to play tomorrow, but people should have extra attention on Dalton Kincaid. Why? He's a Vegas guy. That's right. How he wound up at Utah, whew, that's an annoying story if you're a UNLV fan or a I'll leave it at that. Hey, we'll get to it. Kid, we'll right? get to it. While, while we're talking about it, let's talk UNLV because John has not had his chance to speak on what has been a pretty crazy week. Uh, social media has exploded. Um, I think the worst side of the UNLV onlooker base, I won't even call them fans. There are fans, but uh, a lot of it's just onlookers who are kind of negative S-heads um, up on social media. That whole thing has exploded, but we'll get. let's go back to the beginning of it, and that is you and I covered a lot of UNLV football this year. You, you, know, you served... Uh, in various roles for Learfield, including you did the radio sidelines. I was upstairs doing TV on Fox 5.2 and, and Cox 125. You were down there, all the emotion of the game, big victory over Nevada. It wasn't easy. Um, the gut check coming through that way, that's impressive. Uh, we heard Eric Harper in multiple spots, his press conference and on our show, suggest, hey, you know what, um, the close of the season wasn't good enough. The whole totality of the three years wasn't good enough. Basically, the message was, hey, beating Nevada is not the goal. Beating a Nevada team like that, handily, that's the goal. Things have to be better. So were you kind of blown away on Monday? I think I'd, I I swear I had texted with – I know I had texted with Caleb Herring, and I thought I had looped you in a little bit. I was like – on Sunday, I was like, well, even though they've won – I'm hearing some stuff, so oh, like something might happen here with Arroyo. No, no. So I wasn't. The only thing I was blown away by Monday was the timing of it, right before the painting of the cannon. That's what I was blown away by. Um, you know, to take people a little bit more behind the scenes. You know, I saw you on Sunday night. No, we talked about this at length. Being oh, oh, we did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this at length. Being <laughs> a possibility. That's right. Yeah. There was a birthday party, and you and I talked. Yeah. <laughs> so like that's folks. That's how my memory is so bad. John and I hung out at someone's birthday right. party. You and I talked about it at length for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, I think I was texting with you. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, like, no, the, the actual decision of firing Marcus Arroyo did not come as a shock. It was the timing of, hey, you know, 30 minutes before you guys go out here to celebrate, we're going to fire your coach. Like, that was what shocked me, like, in terms of when they wanted to do it. So, I, I've come around. I've thought about this a lot. And I feel like in terms of media members – I almost feel like, you know, the Joker meme where it's the, uh, you know, you have an opinion and it's Robert De Niro and you go, you know, I'm tired of feeling, I'm tired of saying that it's not, or I'm tired of feeling like the way I am. I'm tired of thinking this, so I'm just going to say it. Yeah, I don't think Arroyo should have been fired. And I don't think for your athletic director and Eric Harper in the press conference, I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. And this wasn't followed up on, which I was kind of disappointed I couldn't make it. He sat there and preached about the turnover that this program has seen with the athletic director, with the head coach, as he just fired a head coach after three seasons uh, at the helm, I feel like it is, if you want to sit here and talk about there should be more continuity, it doesn't make sense to do that right after you fire a guy after three seasons. Could that have been, hey, this is the beginning of continuity, and, and here's my point. 
because Eric Harper wouldn't say it to us. I brought it up to him on Monday, and I said, hey, Marcus Arroyo was going into his fourth and fifth years. He doesn't have an extension. They weren't going to extend him. Right. So I said to him, was it for you, was it going to be impossible to, to go into a fourth year with Marcus Arroyo as sort of a lame duck? Was that part of the decision? And I do believe that was part of the decision. And I think when you hear him saying, hey, there hasn't been continuity, I think it's more of this is the effort to have continuity. We want someone who's going to be here that we really like as a football coach. We don't, we'll don't. we get into the personality in a little bit because that's been a big thing all week around Marcus Arroyo and the chatter, especially from some uh, media people who you know kind of felt a little diss by him. But I believe they do want to get to the point where they've got a long-term coach. Can I throw something else in there? Because we're going. I know I'm taking us on tangents. You also have to understand that going into the fourth year with only two years left on the deal is a little bit weird. I think most fans, and I've, I've even thought this, like, win, and then you'll get an extension. That's what I thought. I think an extension was being asked for after the four-and-one start, and there was some chatter that someone was speaking on Arroyo's behalf about other jobs. Yeah. Which... That's another thing that really hasn't been brought up in the whole, like, back to your original point about continuity. Well, if there were some signs from, say, his agent that he could be looking elsewhere, and then you lose six in a row, finish out with a win, that doesn't go away. You, you dig your own the, hole. The, the athletic director. And, right. and listen, maybe that tells you what you need to know about Marcus Royal that he was like, hey, I, I, you know, if I can achieve here, I'd probably do need to move on because it's a tough place and i'm also working for somebody who didn't hire me you know there, there's so many layers here but to go back to your original point maybe that was some of the stuff that harper was thinking but wasn't saying and that's it's somewhat fair um i also think one of the i think flawed premise out there is that hey tony sanchez was regularly winning four games maxed out of five uh he took over this program and then won seven and three seasons he made it worse i, I think both things can be true right I think that he, Marcus Arroyo, could have been improving as a coach in the program, could have improved, been improving, while also that first season probably didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. And not even from a COVID standpoint, like, I think Marcus Arroyo was flawed as a head coach. I think that's a very fair criticism of him. You and I discussed behind the scenes. I, I think his eye for talent when it came to some of his players I think was a little off. I think how he handled some player situations was odd at most, specifically like the running back rotation. Not to say Aiden Robbins was a bad running back, but uh, I think Courtney Reese should have gotten many more touches. And I think from a game management standpoint, heck, we even saw it in the Reno game. I thought the decision to just go out there and try to make Reno burn three timeouts and then punt it back to them was abysmal. Win! Right. Win! What do you – What do you? I mean, I, I guess in the end I could say what do you have to lose? I think, frankly, by that point the decision had already been made. Right. But as a coach, you you maybe you don't know that. Maybe maybe I don't I don't know. Um, if you knew it, you probably should just go for broke. What the hell's the difference? Yeah. Let's go for broke. Let's try to throw a pass on second or third down. I don't care if the clock stops. I want to win the game. Correct. I don't want to put it in the defense's hands. So I, I just I think that if you're attacking it from saying, hey, they regularly won four games with Sanchez. He only won seven in three years. Yeah, he made the program worse. He deserved to be fired. I think that's looking at it a little too like black and white in terms of just the record. There's a chance that, yes, maybe the program got worse in his first year, but he also was improving the program and he got better. Uh, I just think at the end of the day, for me, and the, the whole thing in terms of the extension, asking for the extension, and then his name being floated out there for other jobs when he was 4-1 and one, probably doesn't help. But if you want to build your program when there are some signs of growth, when there is, frankly, I know you want to get into this a little bit more later, at least in my time around the team, when there was a locker room that liked him 
I like I will oh, say get, that get that locker it. room. No, get into it. it now. There's been this narrative that everyone disliked Marcus Arroyo, and you've heard it kind of go down the line that people read that and right. then took it as, oh, I heard that the players didn't like him. There may have been some players who didn't like him, but I'm telling you, John and I were on the sidelines. John and I were at practices. That stuff would come to the surface. You would see it. And there may be there's, – there's players on every team that don't like their coach, especially if they're not playing. And there's, there was a possibility that they were probably going to lose another 10, 15, right. 18 guys. I don't know, but this notion that that was the issue – Man, I, I'm, I must have been out in left field, and you as well, because that, that's not what I saw with the players. And, and like you said, in my time on that sideline, and you get to see them at their most real point, right, which is, hey, something's going wrong. I'm going to come over here, and voices are going to be raised, and there's going to be curse words, and we're going to talk very real to one another. Those exchanges never spewed like or never skewed to be negative, than which I saw. There was an immense amount of respect between him and these players. The quotes behind guys that have put their names next to them have been nothing short of that. So I think, like, at the end of the day, this is not my, like, impassioned plea that Marcus Arroyo was turning this thing around. No. But I think when you're a program like UNLV, who there was glimmers and little signs of potentially this thing maybe getting better as he was going forward with his time at the helm of this program, and a locker room that was clearly kind of buying into what he wanted to do. And by the way, a quarterback that showed great improvement and decided to stick around in this system and did show some improvement. Overall, I feel like if you want that growth – Getting rid of the guy is probably not the way to go. Now, the next step you take is a really big thing. If you're going to get an established guy as a head coach who can turn this thing around, then maybe you made the right decision and everything's going to go forward. But I just think if where you're at of the program and where you've been, I'm not sure if doing this after three seasons is the way to go. So what do you think when you see uh, other coordinators thrown out as candidates? I know the RJ had a bunch of different coordinators on uh, what they think is the list. There's also been former Rebel players thrown out there, like Randall Cunningham, DeMarco Murray, Keenan McCardell, who's actually coached for about 11 years between uh, mostly the NFL and a couple of years at Maryland. What do you think of those names who, frankly, don't fall under that qualification of proven winner, step above Arroyo? I think if you fired Marcus Arroyo to bring in another coordinator who is a first-time head coach, that is a moronic move. Because you're doing the same thing, right? You're bringing in what Marcus Arroyo was to start this. And you cannot, I think, preach championships and continuity and all that stuff and then take a risk on a guy who has never done the job before. If you're going to do this and you're going to say, and this is not right, Harper talked about this in the press conference, if you're going to say that you believe in yourself as a fundraiser to go get money and do all these things, then you go get the money to go get a guy who has a track record of making a program a viable and consistent program. I don't want to hear DeMarco Murray. I don't want to hear any of these other names that have been thrown out there. I don't. If you're going to come out here and say, we got rid of Marcus Arroyo because we want better continuity and competing for championships, then the tact is you are opening the pocketbooks to go spend money on a guy who has a track record of doing it before. I think that is bar none. You are not taking an experiment again after what you just did in terms of firing Marcus Arroyo. Thursdays are your chance to win a $100 gift card from Walmart, Amazon, or Visa every 30 minutes from 6 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's, it's Cofield & Company. 
All right, giveaway time. 364-1100-364-1100. John Von Toll will be hosting the uh, Silver and Black After Party. That's coming up at Crazy Horse 3, Crazy Horse 3, Crazy Horse 3. Sunday, after uh, every Las Vegas home game, you walk right across the street on Russell. 5 o'clock start, 5 until 8, after party, and you have a chance to get in right now as a VIP. You get in free, your friends get in free, table, and some libations. Ari will hook you up. we got two giveaways right now. Call our 788-364-1100-364-1100, and... We should mention that the party goes on all the time at Crazy Horse 3. Friday is a big day. That's tomorrow. Uh, with the Pac-12 in town. That's right. Utah, USC. Both fan bases will be in there. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, oh, no. Listen to this one. They have a gigantic parking lot over at Crazy Horse 3. If you're having trouble finding parking, and we know parking at Allegiant can be a little pricey, they do have parking over there. It ain't free. But they're offering $50 parking, and it's about as close to the stadium as you can park as compared to the official lots, right? Yep. And it's 50 bucks. So, And driving around you know, Raiders games and games like this, the prices are high, so you can park. And then the cool thing is when you go back to your car after the game, show your ticket, you're in for free. That's whether you're a local or from out of town. So Crazy Horse 3 with the parking lot there, uh, parties after the Pac-12 game. But John will be out there. John Von Tobel with Fox Sports Radio will be out there. Sunday at 5 o'clock. So we got a, a whole um, bunch of time of being sarcastic here. Um, one last thing for today, because we talked about Marcus Arroyo and UNLV football and the future and Eric Harper. And I wanted you to lay out two or three things quickly on the football side that went into this decision. Like I, I Everyone on this show, um, except for those who were – I won't take shots – um, listening to others about how Arroyo was to the media. Um, you know, actually, even even that person, and that was Adam Hill. I saw to say it. Um, he thought Arroyo deserved another year. Everyone on the show is like, hey, he deserved another year. But if you were going to be critical about football on the field, what were a couple of things where you're like, hey, this didn't work, this has to get better, where Eric Harper could look at it and go, hey, maybe I don't think it's going to get better. Right. So I think first is it, it was his odd – I guess I, I just call it like odd eye for talent or whatever it was. And maybe it was a stubbornness. So I bring that up, for example. I think there's two that stick out to me. The first of the first was the running back rotation as the year went along. Aiden Robbins got off to a fantastic start as the year went along. Uh, but Aiden Robbins also was not a threat out of the backfield. When Aiden Robbins would catch a ball as a check down, that's where Aiden Robbins was more than likely going down. He was not fleet of foot. He was not very explosive when it came to um, that area of the field. And you had a guy in Courtney Reese who averaged nearly seven yards a touch this season. And that's not to say every time he touched he was going to get it, but in other words, he was a very explosive back who deserved, I think, a little bit more run in terms of snap counts, in terms of touches, and that never really transpired. And for an offense that really needed more explosiveness, I thought that that was a little bit of an issue. The same could be said for the quarterback situation last year, right, as everybody thought, hey, you know, Brumfield's probably the better guy. Why did it take so long for us to get, you know, to get this? Um, and we know what transpired from there. So I would say that is probably a criticism, right? If you're not really, I don't even want to say properly evaluating the talent that you have, but not using them in the proper way, I think there's a strong argument to be made that that is a criticism of Marcus Arroyo. I think his biggest weakness um, was game management. I think there were times where I mentioned the, the, the Reno game, their, their last offensive drive, where they decided, oh, we're just going to make them burn their, first, their, their three timeouts and then punt the ball back to them. Run a high completion percentage pass play that's going to allow you to maybe get a first down that maybe can win the game for you. 
right? Go to the San Diego State game where I thought that was Arroyo's, at least this season, worst first half as a game manager. The weird decision to force San Diego State to punt the ball back to you, but then you run it three times just to burn the clock and give the ball right back. Uh, like Little things like that in terms of game management, I thought Arroyo was um, somewhat weak at, at times, and I think that that was a criticism that was very solid. I also thought his response to some of their issues was, I don't even know what the word for it was, but maybe unacceptable, right? We, we would ask him in press conferences after games, hey, why is your team starting to struggle against the run? The response should not be the other team is really good at running the ball. We gave him, against Brad Roberts, the player of the year in the conference and Air Force, we gave him like four different chances. And I, right. But I, you know, I still think that there may have been some game planning issues that he didn't agree with. And I have a feeling when he kept saying, hey, they're really good, while the rest of us were like, wow, and this is not coming from me. It's coming from guys like Caleb Herring who were like, uh, you can't leave the A-gap open like that. you got to have someone over the center. That was obvious. Uh, otherwise, Roberts is going to get hands off, hand off up the middle repeatedly and gain all these yards. I, I have a feeling there may have been some disagreement on the game plan. Um, so there's a, there's a lot that goes into comments and press conferences, not to keep covering for the guy, but sometimes you are – you don't want to freaking eviscerate people on your staff if they're the ones who came up with a game plan or, or maybe you're protecting yourself. It was your idea. No, but if I could, though, like that was the Air Force game. Remember, it was after Notre Dame game. It was brought up and asked to him, and that was the same response. It was, I think, a game after that. I can't remember what it was after Notre Dame, but they gave up another pretty poor rushing performance defensively, and he was asked, hey, the last three opponents have really gouged you guys on the ground. What's going on? And that was his response. Oh, three teams are really good at running the ball. Like that shouldn't be the response to what is happening. And sure, is the message behind the scenes probably different, right? He's not going into defensive meetings going, well, shucks, guys. I know you're doing your best, but they're really good. No, but you'd like to see a little bit more out of that regard. And, and I think those are probably, for me at least, being around him like a lot more this year and watching what has transpired over the last couple of seasons, I would say that. And also, I mean, this is more of kind of a nitpicky thing. We get 2020 was a COVID year. You don't have to bring it up in 2022. <laughs> like it, was, it was brought up quite a bit in terms of the slow start to his, his tenure here. And a lot of people had to deal with that. But I think there are fair criticisms of Marcus Arroyo. Were they fireable? That's the question. Football criticism. Right. And others, but trust me, it was, this was very much a football decision. I know people want to make it personal. Um, it was very much a football decision, and I, I don't believe Eric Harper, the AD, would make that decision based on much beyond football. It was a football decision. Get 77 cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra on NFL and Golden Knights game days at the Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. Cofield and Company is live at the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. All right, let's get ready for the Pac-12 championship. Is uh, Sean O'Connell, who uh, played at Utah as part of the uh, Pac-12 channel on Sirius XM, is with us. Also. Uh, Championship MMA fighter, which uh, we might get into a little bit later on. Uh, first of all, I, I want to talk about the Pac-12's standing nationally in terms of coverage because I saw you post a quick video, and I don't want to call the guy out uh, for missing an injury, but I just think it's very uh, emblematic of what goes on with Pac-12 and Pacific time zone coverage, and Vegas is included. Um, well, I'll just say it. Tom Luganville was breaking down the Pac-12 title game and, and didn't know about a major injury for Utah. And I, I do think it kind of reps – what happens oftentimes with the Pacific time zone in terms of coverage? It's a battle that this conference has been fighting for years, will continue to fight, especially after USC and UCLA jump ship and head to the Big Ten. I mean, it cost Christian McCaffrey a Heisman Trophy. Uh, I don't think it's going to cost Caleb Williams a Heisman Trophy this year. But 
because the East Coast is asleep, by the time the second half starts for at least three Pac-12 games a week, it just, from a practical standpoint, reduces the size of the audience and even people whose job it is to cover the conference, to cover all of college football, to cover the deepest, best conference in college football this year with six teams in the top 20 they're just like, nah, I'm, I'm going to record those games or I'm going to watch the little YouTube recap or I'm just not going to pay attention at all. And it's a, it's a disservice done to fans who rely on experts, and it's certainly a disservice done to the teams, but there's really no way of fighting it because the coaches don't want to kick off at 9 a.m. Pacific time either. So it's uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't when it comes to start times. And it resonates with fans in the South, the Midwest, and the – the East because they continue to disrespect the Pac-12 and assume it's soft football and the teams suck. And you you mentioned it. The Pac-12 had a really good year this year. They've got a bunch of elite teams uh, and a, a conference, frankly, that was pretty balanced and was not easy to get through. So what USC did was really impressive. Yeah, look, the Trojans are good. The Trojan, I, the skepticism that I think a lot of us healthy had a healthy skepticism. Lincoln Riley and his players have answered every question that you need to answer, right? They assembled an all-star cast. They developed in one offseason the kind of team chemistry and character that you need to get through a really tough nine-game slate in conference play, a non-conference that included a ranked Notre Dame team, right? I mean, this is this is an excellent football team. Their only loss heading into the Pac-12 championship game came in Salt Lake City, and it was a one-point game. Like, they are, they're very good offensively they're incredibly explosive defensively they're uh, a bend a lot and sometimes break but they create more turnovers than anybody else in college football so they're this weird team defensively but i mean the results are there if they win this pac-12 championship game they're headed to a college football playoff in lincoln riley's first year in la which is amazing because it's hard to you know rework an entire roster and he couldn't do it all on defense, but the accomplishment this year is super impressive. I want you to get into that defense a little bit because it is bizarre. They've been torched, uh, especially like the last six weeks, for over 300 yards per game. How do you explain? Because sometimes turnovers are just a coin flip. Well, you know, Next year they might be a minus or a small plus. How do you explain a ball-hawking defense that can't stop anyone but takes the ball away? I don't know. I mean, they're – the way I try to explain it is they're in the right place a lot of times. So if the ball pops out, they're there a half step late and that gets them the fumble recovery or the deflected pass becomes an interception. It's a real mystery. I mean, Alex Grinch is a good coordinator. Uh, he was excellent when he was at Washington state. He had mixed success at Oklahoma. He's been, you know, on that mixed success boat for the one year he's been in LA. He's got good players. Uh, Eric Gentry was hurt. Shane Lee has been banged up playing, right? Uh, Tuli Tui Pelotu, top sack man in the country. Defensive backfield might be the, the two position groups that that one offseason of, of practice and you know uh, communication could have been better. But luck has a lot to do with it. Every ball bounces their way. I mean, it took, I think, until week eight before they lost a, an offensive fumble, before when they put it on the, on the carpet, they didn't recover. That's absolute insanity and can only be explained by luck. But at the end of the day, it results in like a plus 23 turnover margin, so they're fine. Sean O'Connell is up on Cofield & Company getting ready for the Pac-12 title game here in Vegas. It's Utah and USC. Sean played his football for the Utes, and he does uh, Pac-12 radio on Sirius XM. So 
what stops Utah from doing the same exact thing they did in game one, a close victory where they just lit him up in the air and were very solid on the ground? What changes? Uh, I don't know if anything does except Dalton Kincaid, who had you know the best game of the year for a tight end in that USC game. He's a little bit banged up. Is he healthy enough to get through this game if they're targeting him 15, 16 times like they did in the first outing? I'm skeptical of that because he's he's been dealing with it, right? They're without Tavion Thomas, big body running back. Uh, they've since added Jaquinta Jackson, a converted quarterback. So maybe that's a net neutral on the running game. Uh, look, they just – USC is even more explosive and Caleb Williams is even more elusive in the second to go around than I think he was up in Salt Lake City. And that's really saying something because if you go back and you watch that game, his antics, his Houdini – type of scapability was really, really incredible. That's the that's the key here, right? What USC's done all year is they've outscored everybody. Even when their defense has given up a bunch of yardage and a bunch of points, their offense says, all right, bet, we'll, we're fine. We're just going to go out there. We'll drive down, whether it's a four-minute drive or a 40-second drive, we'll go down and we'll get a score here. And that Utah's got to try and find a way to stop that. Their defense is playing better than they did six weeks ago. So I, I think it comes down to being a one-score game again. I, I just I don't know if Utah's healthy enough to really do the same things offensively that they did in the first go-round. Uh, let's build on the uh, brief mention of Dalton Kincaid, and he's a super important player. You played the position. Tell folks in Vegas about the guy. And here's the thing. Folks in Vegas should already know because he's a Vegas guy. But his story of getting to Utah is kind of crazy uh, you know, right now we're covering the UNLV uh, coaching situation, and I got to tell you, uh, part of UNLV's uh, failure over the years has been due to the fact that they miss out on local players like Dalton Kincaid, who didn't land at Utah initially. Essentially, he had no offers. Yes, ended up at University of San Diego, not San Diego State, not even a true D1. <clears throat> he went to University of San Diego, playing for the Toreros, right, and ended up at one of those transfer guys. Kyle Whittingham, before the transfer portal was a cool thing, before everybody was in it, Utah made themselves a, a destination for transfer players, for guys that maybe wanted to compete at a, bit, a higher level and were willing to sit out, take a, a redshirt year. Guys that had a rough go wherever they were at before you had immediate eligibility, they would convince players, look, come over here either as a grad transfer, you'll be immediately eligible, or you're going to have to play scout team for a year, right? And and then we'll get you on the field. And Dalton Kincaid is like, you say diamond in the rough and all these cliches. He is the gem of any recruiting class that got overlooked. This dude should be the Mackey winner. Not He got left off the Mackey finalist list. He should be the Mackey winner. He is the best tight end in college football. All due respect to Mike Mayer at Notre Dame. All due respect to Brock Bowers at Georgia. Dalton Kincaid is a bigger version of Brock Bowers. He is a better receiver than Michael Mayer. He has more yards after catch than any tight end in the country. He's number one or number two in all the important measurable categories that you, you gauge a tight end by. This dude is an absolute monster, and he does it. He plays his best in his biggest games. Utah, quite frankly, does not have a chance of beating USC in Salt Lake City if Dalton Kincaid doesn't have a monster game. If he doesn't go 16 targets for 16 catches, 234 and a touchdown, they have no chance at winning that game. 
he does it on the biggest stage, and I hope the same is true for this Pac-12 championship game. Let's go back to the beginning of the conversation and the coverage of the Pac-12. I heard something funny the other day. I was listening to a show out of the Northeast, and they were talking about the Pac-12 title game, trying to handicap, and they were trying to take a guess, because that's what it was, at what the crowd would be like. And I hear them say, yeah, I don't know if the Utah fans are going to show up. And I almost drove off the road. I'm like, Utah fans are going to show up in Vegas. Last year, it was overwhelmingly a Utes crowd. They're going to show up. And frankly, here's the thing. A lot of them live here in Vegas. There will be a massive turnout. Am I correct on this with the Utes fans? Yes. And if you're a, if you're a person in the Ute Twitter sphere, right, social media is a good place for us to gauge all this stuff. Like, people are – are giving traffic avoidance advice. People are tweeting out <laughs> reports like, hey, guys, you know, if you're planning on leaving and driving down from Salt Lake City on Friday morning, there's going to be snow flurries all the way down. Maybe think about leaving like 4 a.m. instead. Maybe think about leaving tonight and driving through the night. People not only are making sure they get there, they're making sure their Utah friends and compatriots in red get there as well. It is wild. I mean, there's a ton of pride associated with this university these teams in particular that have dealt with adversity and have lost, you know, some valued members of the community to tragic accidents. Like they're these, I don't know. It's a totally different deal than when I was at the university of Utah, when I guess that was like what, 16, 17 years ago, 18 years ago. Now I, that was a supportive group, right? We played in the Fiesta bowl, well represented in the Fiesta bowl. A ton of home fans went down there. Thankfully that was driving distance as well, but Anybody who thinks that this is not going to be – first of all, the game is sold out, and both fan bases are within driving distance. But watch what happened at the Rose Bowl last year. Look what happened at the Pac-12 championship game last year. There will be as many Utah fans in Vegas as there are at Rice-Eccles Stadium on any home game Saturday. Stadium wow. only holds 50,000 in Salt Lake City. That many will come down – and they'll be, they'll be wearing red, and you'll see them in the casinos, right? They'll be gambling but not drinking, a lot of them, because that's kind of the fan base. But it'll be fun. Hey, let's close on a couple of Pac-12 questions with Sean O'Connell here on Cofield and Companies. We're getting ready for the Pac-12 title game at the Owl here in Vegas. Deion Sanders to Colorado. Is that a match in any way? Should Deion want that job? Uh, look, they want him absolutely. Should he want them is a better question, because you can recruit. Much like we talked about with, with the, uh, the UNLV coaches needing to keep local talent home. There's good players in Colorado, right? You can recruit Texas. You can recruit Southern California if you're at a place like the University of Colorado. Obviously, the transfer portal now with the cool factor that Dion brings. I mean, how many of his Jackson State players will just follow him to Boulder? Absolutely, Colorado wants Dion and everything that's associated with him that comes with it. There's this narrative, and I think it's a valid one, about the Colorado football program that they're not as supported by the community and by more communities, the wrong way to say, by the university, right? Like everyone else, every other football program in the country and even in the Pac-12 paves the way and rolls out the red carpet and makes sure that there's finances and facilities and all that stuff. And there's some resistance to that in Boulder just because of the strange atmosphere of that little town. I hope that Dion wants to be there. I know he doesn't love cold weather, but that's really only something he has to deal with for like the final three weeks of the season in Boulder. He would be an amazing uh, temporary fit. I don't think he'd be like a, a legacy long-term coach there, but you couldn't ask for a better situation to do a quick turnaround, 
given what's available to, to Colorado and every other school with transfer portal opportunities. I hope Dion ends up being introduced as the head coach in Boulder. Sean, you're awesome. Everyone out there, make sure you listen to Sirius XM and Pac-12 Radio. Uh, he does the show against us. You know, you, you can go listen uh, to Sirius XM from uh, 3 to 6 local time. Jeff Schwartz is on the show as well. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, you, you don't have to tune out from Cofield and Company. You can also catch the show, podcast it on the SXM app, and then you got the best of both worlds. Perfect. There he is, Sean O'Connell, played at Utah, covers Utah, Sirius XM, Pac-12, Radio star, also an MMA champion, fought in the UFC and uh, fought in PFL, announces for PFL. Let's do a giveaway right now, 364-1100, We got Pac-12 championship tickets to give away. We got a pair right now. Ari's got them, 364-1100, I mean, these tickets are really hard to get. It's a 5 o'clock kickoff on Friday, 364-1100, your hookup for the Pac-12 title game. Get 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra on NFL and Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7s Hotel and Casino.